Welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow, and this is February 1989. Joining me today is Orly. Hello. Hi, Orly. Thanks for joining us. You're so welcome. I'm happy to be here. Let's go ahead and jump in here to February 1989. Okay. When we start, REM is still on top of the charts with their single Stand, Mm -hmm. which we heard last time, last episode. Mm -hmm. But they're only up there for one week in February, and then they are overthrown by a legend, Lou Reed. Mm -hmm. Lou Reed, of course, was the lead singer and founder of the Velvet Underground, and we could spend episodes i think talking about the velvet underground and their influence on yeah on far reaching all kinds of music yes Yes. and other people could do that much better than than i think we could (laughs) i'm sure they could (laughs) Um, let's not try let's not try no but we we should mention um that the velvet underground were hugely influential on modern rock specifically just off the top of my head uh, in 1987, R.E.M. released an album of rarities and B-sides, mm-hmm. which actually included three Velvet Underground covers. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little Get weird. Get a grip, guys. It's yeah. like a cover album at this point. Well, Why are you Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> but also, the Feelies on their third album, somewhere around this time, late 80s, uh, they covered a Velvet Underground song. Jane's Addiction on their first album, which was a live album, they covered Rock and Roll, Velvet Underground song. Uh-huh. Younger music fans may be more familiar with The Killers, who worked with Lou Reed on a track that showed up on their B-Sides album. And then even more recently, Lou Reed worked with Metallica for the album Lulu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that's kind of Lou Reed for you. Lou Reed's career has gone up and down so many times he's he has albums that are hailed as masterpieces he has albums that nobody ever wants to listen to you can't win them all right and when we get to 1989 modern rock artists are really strongly appreciating and being influenced by the velvet underground but lou reed himself is coming off of a low point i think musically yeah and this is not walk on the wild side no no that was like earlier no walk on the wild side was probably his biggest hit in the u.s and that was uh 1972 i believe oh way early that's like practically the 60s yeah it's like coming right off of velvet underground i heard that song as in either very early teen or maybe even tween. You are so old. No, but not like when it came out because I wasn't born. But <laughs> but thinking that it was like obviously very risque. But if you say it came out in 72, it seems way ahead of its time to it me. It seems super risque. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, I think that it was so ahead of its time that the radio... They didn't get it. No, they didn't get it. That's cute. Yeah, it is kind of adorable. I remember there's this, maybe it was in the Tina Fey book when she talked about trying to get around the censors and how you can't say like balls. So they thought of all the ways to say balls and like the ones that the censors were cool with were flesh nuggets. Nice. <laughs> it's like, really? That's not worse? Yeah. You know, I heard that when <laughs> South Park was doing their movie, they had a subtitle that the censors did not like and they came back with bigger, longer and uncut and the censors did not understand. Do you know what? I didn't get that either. I'm going to be, I'm going to out myself. Until right now. No, no, no. Until a little it. while ago. <laughs> it was like a decade later. Yeah. I but thought like, yeah, there it's bigger, longer, uncut. They get to curse. You should be on the censor board. 
<laughs> I'm as smart as a censor. <laughs> I don't think it's smartness. I think it's... I'm as with, with it. it. It's with it And I'm putting quotes around with it because I'm so with it that I use the term with it. Well, really, you're the bomb. <laughs> I'm off the chain. Okay, so um, Lou Reed released a, an album that was well-received in the early 80s, but then he kind of had a poorly received album, went a little while without releasing any music. And then in 1989, he comes back with his album, New York. Mm -hmm. And this album is critically acclaimed. It's sometimes hailed as his greatest solo album of his career. I think he's just really good at naming things. The Velvet Underground, New York. He, he didn't come up with that name, New York. That was already a, a city. I know, but he named something New York. So New York, 1989. This is his 15th studio album. And we're going to hear a song called Dirty Boulevard. Another cool title. Very cool title. Yeah. Let's hear it. I've Let's never it. heard it. Here I don't we go. Think. Dirty Boulevard. Maybe I have heard it and I just don't know. So I'll... I'll let you know. They brought up on their knees, it's hard to run. But a coat hanger beats you on the thighs. Pedro dreams of being older and killing the old man. But that's a slim chance. He's going to the boulevard. He's going to end up on the dirty boulevard. He's going out to the dirty boulevard. He's going down to the dirty boulevard. Dirty Boulevard. Was the song supposed to be funny? Okay, yeah. Um, it's like tongue in cheek. So I'm not sure. And this is the thing. Give me a huddle masses. I'll club them. Throw them on the Dirty Boulevard. <laughs> it was something like that. Um, no, I don't think it is. But our generation, I think, is so steeped in cynicism. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. It's hard to listen to something that is meant to be serious and maybe heartfelt or maybe uh, like a, a, a real message and not kind of smirk and laugh, even if I don't want to. Like, I understand what he's saying. Like, I feel this like is... it's the delivery, though. Really? Yeah. You know, it's like stand-up comedians sometimes, they'll talk about really dark shit. Mm -hmm. And it's real and it's painful, but you're still laughing. Yeah. You know? So I feel like it's kind of like that. Like, it's a joke. Like, give me your... Uh, you know, okay. Your We'll club him to death. Like, of course, yes, it's true. We will club them to death, but I'm saying it in a funny way. You can, yeah. yeah. I think it's like that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I like that. I like yeah. That I think it's like that. He knows. I think he knows. Okay. Like, his delivery is kind of tongue in cheek, even though the message is real. And, you know, it's kind of like how satirists are giving us the realist news nowadays. Mm -hmm. So we're laughing, but we're like kind of crying too. Yeah. He's like the John <laughs> Oliver of 1989. Yeah. 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 So the song is clearly uh, about the lyrics, right? Musically, it's three chords. Musically, right? it's like a lot of his songs. Over and over mm -hmm. again, just kind of mm -hmm. looped. Yeah, but it's about the lyrics. And I think they toned them down a little bit for the radio version. This um, is not the radio version? No, I don't I don't believe that they said that they're going to piss on people on the radio version. Is that really a bad word? In 1989, it was. Rated PG movies said shit. In 1989? I think so. Uh, they Beetlejuice said nice fucking model. <laughs> and I remember that. <laughs> that wasn't on the radio, though. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, they did tone something down. I'm not sure what it was. Okay. But yeah, you know, I think that's fairly standard for a lot of Lou Reed songs. If the music itself was more filled out, if it was fancier, if there were more chord changes. I think it would take away. It would. You you would spend more of your energies listening to the music and less listening to the lyrics. And again, I'd like to say that it's interesting that he charted 
Do you want to tell me what number? He was number one. This is number one, yeah. This was a number one song. For four weeks. While we're talking about Lou Reed, mm-hmm. let's move on to our next song. Is he part of the next song too? Well, the next song we're going to hear is by a band called Cowboy Junkies. Oh, yes. Beautiful segue. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the song we're going to hear is called Sweet Jane. Uh, for those of you who do not know, Sweet Jane is a Velvet Underground cover. Right, but I did not know about it in 1989. I knew of the re-release. This is a unique song that charted twice, top 10 modern rock song, two different times. First in 1989, they hit number five. And then they're going to hit number nine in... 94. So it's weird that it only hit number nine because during that time I was listening to the radio an average of eight to 12 hours a day, especially during the summer when I wasn't at school. It was just always on. Mm -hmm. They played that song so much. I I would have thought it was a number one song. I remember hearing it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And that was because it was was released on the Natural Born Killer soundtrack in 1994. Were you around when my dad was talking about how in the 60s he liked the Velvet Underground, but he had to keep it a secret so no one would think he was gay? <laughs> no. It's interesting. Fun fact. So so your dad is the one guy that listened to the Velvet Underground and didn't start a band. My dad has no musical abilities, and he's aware of that. He says he doesn't sing along to songs because he doesn't want to ruin them. He doesn't want to hear his own voice. So Sweet Jane, number five. Cowboy Junkies. This is off of Cowboy Junkies' second album. Mm-hmm. And Cowboy Junkies are an interesting band. They're made up of three siblings. That is interesting. And one non-sibling. Mm-hmm. Is it a cousin? It's off that's, that's the Beach Boys you're thinking of. It's also the Kings of Leon. Oh. Three siblings and a cousin. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I have no idea. I mean, if you're going to put three siblings in, you clearly are close with the family. Throw a cousin in there. Yeah. Uh, when it's time for a reunion tour, just mm-hmm. a hot tip, Cowboy Junkies. Think about getting a cousin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, their first album was almost entirely cover songs. Why not? Those songs are already good. <laughs> you know what? And that's, that's an interesting point of view. But, but by 1989, <laughs> covers are not... It's not something that you do that much. Like, people might throw a cover song on an album. But I think mostly artists, if they're wanting to, to be have taken respect, seriously. To be taken seriously, they're expected to write their own songs. You know, I agree with that to a certain extent. But it's like, you know what? Who cares? Back in the day, 50% of everyone's song was a cover, if not even more. And you know what? Sometimes that becomes the greatest version. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm okay with that. I mean, certainly I think more people know Cowboy Junkies cover of Sweet Jane than... And that's the only song I know of theirs, I think. Probably. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. So Cowboy Junkies' second album, The Trinity Session, is like 50% covers. Oh. Yeah. So they're they're like almost a cover band. How did they get a record deal with just doing covers? That I don't know. They're Canadian. Okay, so they're like, hey, there's six bands here. You and you get a record deal. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the fun (laughs) things about Canada is that um, Canadian radio requires that a certain percentage of music played on their radio stations is Canadian music. And so... um, That and healthcare, let's move. It's cold, (laughs) but I'll take it. (laughs) Cowboy Junkies' second album, The Trinity Session. It was recorded in Toronto's Church of the Holy Trinity and it was recorded in one take on a single microphone. That's incredible. Yeah. If this band came to me and was like, 
we want a record deal. And I was like, no way, Cowboy Junkies. And they're like, uh, it will cost you $3. We're going to sneak into a church, record it on one microphone. In one take. In one take. I'll be like, done. So they're got it. good. They're really good. Yeah, I mean, I guess, apparently, yeah. They're practiced as all heck. They must have practiced a lot, yeah. You may be wondering how it's possible to record a full album on a single microphone. It's because they had a super special microphone. <laughs> it's called an ambisonic microphone, and it, it is a full sphere surround microphone. Can you picture that? It's grabbing sound from 360 degrees. Oh, it's a ball? From, it's a ball of sound recording. And it hangs from the ceiling like a disco no, ball? No, I don't know how. I don't know. I, come on. Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> so... They had to sneak into this church. They had to hang. How do you know it was snuck in? This was part of the story? This is part of my story. Okay, okay, okay. They snuck in late at night to the Church of the Holy Trinity. They're like, hang up that microphone, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so they hung their spherical disco ball microphone from... They hung it up in the middle of the room because they they're did. good like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very practiced, so mm-hmm. they knew how to do it. That's right. And uh, they laid it down in one take. And then they peaced out and they were like, record deal. That's right. Sweet Jane. Yeah. This is a hit for us twice. So Sweet Jane was this one take. Yeah. I want to hear it so bad right now knowing this. Let's hear it. Yeah. Listen for the 360 degrees. You need more ears. I'm going to try to listen with my eyes. Okay. And throat. Yeah. Try to listen to it (laughs) in 360 degrees. my neck. It's not even 360 degrees because that's just like a circle. This is spherical. 3D. 3D. Yeah. I feel like we need to be on drugs listening to this song. Yeah. And now we are. Yeah, I'm 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 good to go. I've heard this song a million times, but now I'm hearing it with fresh ears that are yeah. also on the back of my neck. Good. Cowboy junkies. <laughs> and teeth. <laughs> Sweet Jane. Better than I remember it. Yeah, that took me back to 1994. Oh, I'm so 14 right now. But not to 1989. No, it's true. No, I'm not nine. I'm 14 right now. That's okay. I mean, it was the same song. We'll just talk about it in five years. I really like that. That was so good. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's a good song no matter what. It's a good song that Lou Reed wrote but I'm gonna say that I think the Cowboy Junkies version is better I think so too there's just so much like drippy honey on that and Mm -hmm. it sounds so sultry you can just feel the warmth of that big open church that they're recording in it sounds so cozy yeah and I really like the tone of her voice and like Lou Reed's not really a singer. I mean, he sings, but he's not like got a singing voice. And it's got like this, I feel, I feel like their version's a little rushed and choppy. Mm-hmm. He's like, sweet Jane, sweet Jane. He just doesn't have the beautiful tone <laughs> that she does. I don't even know her name. Um, her name is Margot Timmons. Holy mackerel, Margot. It doesn't seem to go with the voice, does it? I don't Oh, I feel Margot's kind of a sexy name. Is it? Yeah. You know, it's not very common. The only Margot I know from the world at large is Margot Kidder. And I don't think sexy when I think Margot Kidder. 
Because she has mental problems? No, I just... <laughs> That's not why. No, come on. She was the least... I mean, no offense. Margot Kidder, if you're listening, you're great. But that was not a sexy Lois Lane. The lyrics aren't overwhelmingly sexy, but it almost felt like, are you sure you want to do this sexy song with your siblings? Mm-hmm. In a church. In a church? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the whole point. I mean, it's got so good to be bad vibe. Yeah. It was beautiful. I really like that. Mm-hmm. I should mention uh, for any Velvet Underground super fans out there, this is not a cover of the version that appeared on the 1970 Velvet Underground album Loaded. What is it like a interpretation no it's it's actually a cover of the way they played it on a live album from 1969 okay maybe that's because the the one i know i'm like i don't feel like it's that closely tied to this one other than the fact that they say sweet jane the live version um velvet underground it has the wine and roses part at the end like okay. the change and that's not on the loaded album i like that part yeah i like that part too but it's it's I interesting do. that they cover this song and they're not taking probably the more well-known version they're taking kind of an obscure even better cut. i think that's the best thing to do with covers really instead of like picking the song that everybody knows and everybody's covered you go like no this one here is the one that somehow slipped through the fingertips of uh, most people and i'm going to cover that one and make it mm-hmm. my own can we talk about their name real quick mm-hmm. are they junkies for cowboys they are cowboys that are junkies as far as i was concerned really yeah or maybe the other way so that's not how i took it because otherwise you say junkie cowboys yeah you're right they're cowboy junkies yeah i think they, they're junkies for cowboys they can't get enough cowboys they tried to quit and they just they're keep like mounties back. no yeah i'm all about the cowboys uh-huh. sort of cowboy related okay this is uh, your segue is cowboy kind of okay uh, our third band we're going to talk about hit number 11. They peaked at number 11 in February 1989. And this is a punk band called the Dead Milkmen. Oh, adorable. I love this song too. It's got to be their one song. It, it is their one song. Okay. No, I mean, they have other songs. But if you know if you know a Dead Milkman song, it is Punk Rock Girl. Yeah. I have a friend and she was a true Dead Milkman fan. Like she would go see this band. Oh. She owned albums. She was very into the Dead Milkman. She owned albums. I don't know. They have more than one. They do. This is their fourth album, Beelzebubba. She definitely did. She was like into this band. She would talk about this band like they were not a one hit wonder. Yeah. Cool. So this is a Philadelphia punk band. If we're thinking of 80s American punk rock, I think hardcore, I think Black Flag, like I think... DC area. Sure, Bad Minor Brains. And, yeah. This is distinctly not hardcore punk. No, these guys seem cute. Not like physically cute, no, but no, cute no. like fun. Yeah. 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 Cute like little nerds that mm-hmm. stay after class and work on their programming projects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's lighter. It seems like... Goofy. Yeah, so, Dead Milkman, punk band, Philadelphia. Yeah. Anything else to say about these guys? They Pro- like punk rock girls. That's why they got into music. Yeah. They sound like nerds. They definitely sound like nerds. I saw that video. They look like nerds. Yeah, they kind of do. <laughs> okay, let's listen to this song. Yeah. Here we go. Punk rock girl. One Saturday, I took a walk to zip her head. I met a girl there and she almost knocked me dead. Punk rock girl, please look at me. What do you see? Let's travel around the world. I tapped her on the shoulder and said, do you have a bell? She looked at me and smiled and said she did not know. 
It's fun. Yeah, it's totally fun. It, it never gets old for me. Yeah, and it's really short too. Yeah, so. it's really endearing. I think. Totally catchy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. The, I mean, the the guitar solo is terrible, but I oh, love it's, like, its terribleness. All clean, so you can catch all the flubs and like weirdness that yeah. like you could have done that second take. Uh-huh. No, he's like me. First take, I'm good. Yeah. No, <laughs> we got it. True punk rock. Was the tape rolling? Then we're done. <laughs> Um, here's what I want to know. How many times in your life have you tapped someone on the shoulder and asked them if they had a bell? Yeah, that's weird. Why would she carry a bell? Yeah. So, um, (laughs) listeners at home, you're only hearing a 30 second clip. You're not getting all the lyrics, but uh, you should listen to the song. It's, uh, as much about the lyrics as it is about the music. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is fun. It's cute. And so, uh, you know, we should mention some things about the lyrics. First of all, they mention some locations from Philadelphia, although they don't actually exist anymore so the philly pizza company and Zipperhead, uh, those were locations on south street in philadelphia and <laughs> here's what my research says about Zipperhead. Um, Zipperhead is an extremely derogatory term for um certain asian populations Ooh. came out of i don't know either the vietnam or korean war it's Got a pretty nasty origin. Oh, no. Uh, but the zipper head in question in the song is actually like an alternative clothing, like punk clothing store that oh, okay. no longer exists. Okay. Yeah. They mention listening to a Beach Boys song, California, California Dreamin'. Dreamin'. And a lot of people think that that's a mistake that the band made because, of course, California Dreamin' is a song by the Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the Beach Boys covered that song, and it was on the radio around this time period, 1989 <laughs> or so. So um, Weird. Yeah. Uh, they covered California Dreamin'? They did. They're like, look, guys, we don't have enough songs of our own. Mm-hmm. Back to the covers again. Well, if you remember, um, some of the uh, Beach that Boy is a good song. clan, the Wilsons, were clearly friends uh, with, oh, right. with the Phillipses because John Wilson Phillips... Phillips. Well, of course, there's the Wilson Phillips crossover, Hello. yes. But also, I was going to say, um, I believe John Phillips co-wrote Kokomo. Okay. Yeah. One of the greatest songs of all time. Are you sure? So, <laughs> so there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of interrelatedness uh-huh. between, between the Beach Boys and the Mamas and Papas. What else do they mention here? Oh, they mention Mojo Nixon. Uh, I don't know the, who that is. They go to the record shop. They ask for, ask Mojo, for Mojo Nixon. Nixon. Mojo Nixon. Uh, Mojo Nixon was an alternative or underground music artist at the time, and he actually was charting on the modern rock charts at just about this very time. So with, they knew about him like before he was popular. I don't know if you could say he was ever popular, but... Uh, he said charting. Well, the lower reaches of the modern rock charts, let's say okay. that. Not popular enough to be carried at, uh, what record shop are we talking about? I don't know, Sam Goody? <laughs> the Warehouse? No, did they say in the song? We went to, oh, it said, said record shop. Record shop. Yeah. yeah, so Mojo Nixon had a, uh, maybe his biggest hit song. Debbie Gibson is pregnant with my two-headed love child. And Debbie Gibson was big then because I was definitely listening to her. Also... If you want to check out this Mojo Nixon video, it features a young Winona Ryder. Oh. Yeah. I could still get down with some of those Debbie Gibson songs. Can you? I just can't shake your love. I can't. Oh. No. Sorry. I'm more of an Amy Grant. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) (laughs) Amy Grant, she like wears white socks and Keds. You don't like Amy Grant because she wears white socks and Keds? That's, (laughs) That's the reason you can't stand her. Debbie Gibson probably does, too. You know what? Everyone who's anyone wears white socks and kids. 
So, uh, Dead Milkman, this music is sometimes referred to as cowpunk. That's a term that I have seen. I have seen around. that too, and I have no idea why. Yeah, well, you know, it has a little bit of a country twang to it, I guess. But cowpunk. I've, I've never heard this term applied to any other. Exactly, band. like they they like formed this genre and no one else ever joined it. Cowpunk refers only to this one band because they have <laughs> the word milk in their name. And like cows have milk. They're cowpunks. They're a punk band, and cows have milk. It's cow punk. It's goat punk. <laughs> what kind of punk does that make? Like meat puppets. <laughs> They're flesh punk. <laughs> well, hardcore flesh punk band. Flesh is so gross. <laughs> All right. This takes us to our fourth and final band of the episode. We're digging pretty low on the charts. Number 20. Yes. And uh, this is the first chart appearance from a little alternative rock band by the name of sonic youth oh all right tell me about sonic youth well i got that book about kim gordon so i know some. oh her uh, it was an autobiography that came out a, a few years back that's the one okay and i read most of it put it that <laughs> way so i know that they are i guess influential sure avant-garde mm-hmm. post-punk yeah maybe like they kind of like ushered in like a new sound. Like it's 89, but it's like they're really bringing the 90s with them. Like when we talked about like listening to the Pixies mm-hmm. and um, Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction. It's really like, here's the new sound. Mm-hmm. And they're full of rich bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I'll tell that about my favorite bands, the Strokes, who are also full of rich bastards well, <laughs> when we I'm talk about mind. them. Any, any successful band we listen to is, is rich bastards, right? Turns out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to be if you want to be a famous musician, you should be a rich bastard. Do you know that about the Dead Milkman? They don't sound like rich bastards. No, but you know what? They're not very successful. No, <sighs> that's exactly it. Yeah. And you know what? Like maybe Sonic Youth wasn't successful in the sense that they sold a ton of records or charted like crazy. However, they're successful in the fact that everybody knows their name mm-hmm. and is excited to wear their T-shirt, like that guy at that party on I Wednesday. Just saw a guy wearing a Sonic Youth T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sonic Youth formed in 1981. By the time 1989 rolls around, they're on their fifth album. Mm-hmm. And it is a double album called Daydream Nation. I just think these people are good at naming things. Yeah, that is a good name. Sonic Youth is a good name. It is, that's true. Uh, Sonic Youth started out very experimental. Lots of alternate tunings on their guitar. Experimental, that's a good word. I said avant-garde, but same thing. Like Lots of noise. It was noise rock, essentially. Outside the mainstream sound. Right. I would guess that they were heavily influenced by Velvet Underground and Lou Reed. I mean, I don't know where Thurston Moore is from. When I was reading the autobiography, I think What's-Her-Face was from LA. Tim Gordon? Yeah. Okay. Because she was like dating what's his danny elfman, danny elfman mm-hmm. and they were all going to high school okay but she i mean she ended up in new york at some point yeah this is a very new york band yeah yeah and sonic youth i think influential is the right word they had some songs that were um minor hits especially later on into the 90s but i think more than anything they are important for opening the doors for a lot of other bands for finding bands and champion championing i'm having trouble saying that word yeah it is hard word to say championing okay let me try this championing championing it just sounds like you're really bad at saying mushroom (laughs) french (laughs) 
<laughs> Syracuse was really good at champignoning. <laughs> I loved their video for dirty boots yeah it was like my teenage fantasy to like go to a the video is like those they're like at a sonic youth show mm-hmm. and like a young girl whatever a teen and a guy they like make eyes at each other and they like fall in love in the crowd mm-hmm. cool. like that's the dream yeah you know i think sonic youth is known for being cool i think they were looked at as being cool they had good taste they found other bands that are cool and good and they said hey come on tour with us or they pushed their label to sign other bands yeah so in some sense they were tastemakers they were sonic youth is in part responsible for some of the success of nirvana and dinosaur jr and hole and a whole bunch of other bands right but they made interesting music on their own as well Mm -hmm. and we're going to listen to a song called Teenage Riot. Okay. Yeah, and let's just jump into it and, and we'll, we'll talk more about it. Everybody's talking about the stormy weather. What's a man to do to work out weather? Looking for a man with a focus and a temper. Miss me. Don't dismiss me. Okay, that was Teenage Riot by Sonic Youth, 1989. So, right out the gate, was that six minutes, 38 seconds? Uh, I think it was like 6.58. It's pushing seven minutes, yeah. There's no reason for that. I'm sorry. That is just too long. It's just trying to be difficult. That song is fine. Like, there's got a good riff. I could hum it. There's no reason for it to be that long. And if it's going to be that long because it's filled with meaningful lyrics, then don't bury your lyrics. Yeah. It was a reach for me. Sure. I mean, I like this song, but... I like this song too. It's okay. It doesn't need to be seven minutes long. It is It is long. It's right. When If I'm going to think of songs that are seven minutes or more that I that I really like. I'm going to think have, of zero songs. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm going to think of some songs, but they're going to have like very distinct parts. They're going to be like multi-part songs. They're going to be yeah. generally... It's almost like uh, operatic. Mm-hmm. Like it's telling a story. It's changing gears. Mm-hmm. This changed gears technically three times. The beginning. Like the intro. The intro, yeah. which is, sorry, totally unnecessary. So minute 20, cut. And I don't even know what he's saying half the time. Yeah, I mean something the, stormy weather. Well, I mean teenage yeah. something. Do do do. In a sense, though, I mean, isn't that like a standard trick when you're a band that wants to sound cool and or maybe don't have the strongest vocalist? It's called reverb. <laughs> no, I mean I get that. That's fine. But you know what? I mean, Lou Reed wasn't a strong vocalist, but he had something to say. So he put his vocals more up front. Yeah. 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 You know, and not maybe so. Thurston Moore is not a strong vocalist, neither is Kim Gordon, and they don't have anything to say. Okay, then do something else. And there was some cool riffs in there, and obviously I could still hum it, so it wasn't like totally atonal. But as far as I'm concerned, it didn't go anywhere that I found, you know, super interesting. That song could have been 
three minutes, 27 seconds long. And I would have been like, I have reached my fill. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me for some reason. That I don't it's know. Long? I feel like, yeah. I feel like it should bother me maybe, but it doesn't really. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't like any song over five minutes pretty much. So I don't need it. I know I've never been into jam bands. I've never been into like long guitar solos. So when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, okay. I yeah. get the gist. Now, I'm there, good. There is a story. I did look up uh, the lyrics and the intent of the lyrics. Apparently, it's about an alternate reality in which Jay Maskus, the lead singer of Dinosaur Jr., has been elected president of the United States. You know what? It sounds vague. It kind of sounds Dinosaur Jr.-ish to me. I wouldn't be surprised if they were inspired by Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. I mean, not like I know a ton about them, but I hear that. Mm-hmm. And Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth were, of course, tour mates at some point. They were both featured in the documentary 1991, the year that punk broke. Yeah. Also, to be fair, mm-hmm. Thurston Moore, is, I don't find him attractive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's one of your top two criteria for, for whether you like a band. I, I know. Unless they're a lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could find them attractive. That's a bonus, but you could look like anything. Mm-hmm. For a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there are ladies who like Thurston more, but... Oh, tons. Yeah. Tons of ladies like Thurston more. This is not my type. I mean, I liked Marilyn Manson at a time, and people like were running to the toilet to vomit at the thought of you know kissing that guy. So mm-hmm. I understand. In the 90s, this would be early, mid-90s, Sonic Youth were a very cool band. If you were into alternative music and you were cool, you liked Sonic Youth. I was not cool. Do they still have this legacy? Have they... Um, Definitely. Yeah? You, Definitely. Yeah? People are still talking about Sonic Youth. You think So you think it's it's held up? It's held up. Yeah. People still bring up Sonic Youth. They did very well with their marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. I feel a little embarrassed to admit that I'm not really that into Sonic Youth. Me too. I feel like... I'm like... I was trying to hedge my bets, but I'll just be honest. I'm not into them. Yeah. I mean, I like this song. Yeah, me too. It's okay. Um, and I told you I love that Dirty Boots video. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. Like, I'd never seen it before. But when the Sonic when Sonic Youth came on 120 Minutes, I felt something. It was like very exciting. And it was a live performance, like, supposed to look like. So maybe that was part of it. But I... I couldn't hum that song for you. I remember the video and I remember the feeling, but I don't remember the actual song. Right. And I feel like that is kind of how I feel about Sonic Youth in general. They have the aesthetic. Right. But um, each like individual songs, it just all kind of bleeds into one sound that is not something I'm, I'm not running for it, you know? Sure. Okay, so I guess that wraps it up for February 1989. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Modern Rock. We'll be back in two weeks. If you want to send us some comments or questions, you can contact us at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Have a good one. Peace. <laughs>